Southern California. This is the moment you've all been waiting for. It's time for a new episode of Kings of the Podcast. Buckle up. Here we go. the podcast episode seven coming to you live from southern california it is beautiful here we're coming to you from the craig duncanson studio dennis bernstein it is friday the kings won a game last night how you feeling today we're in a good mood we had a good warm-up back here john so we're both in a really good mood stepping into the podcast uh yeah, you got me on that name. I've never heard of Craig Duncanson, so please do, do the honors. <laughs> yes, uh, we probably should have recorded the ten-minute prelude to the episode today because uh, you and I were we were on fire during the warm-up. We didn't need uh, Jay Flats warming up the crowd at all. We we had it under control. But uh, Craig Duncanson, this is. Uh, he was a first-round pick back in 1985, DB, uh, and, and there were a couple reasons for, for picking him. He, he did only get into 38 NHL games spread over uh, about four seasons, so uh, only the most diehard Kings fans would recognize the name Craig Duncanson, but he was a first-round pick for the LA Kings in 85. He went, I think, ninth overall. He played his junior hockey in Sudbury, uh, and that's important for a couple of reasons. Number one, we're all waiting for the OHL and the return to find out what happens with young Quentin Byfield, and will he be going back? But uh, also, our guest on the last program was Warren Reichel. Reichel played for a number of different teams in the OHL uh, as a player, and Sudbury was one of them, so he was teammates with Craig Duncanson. Uh, that, that's yet another reason that I picked him. And then, of course, just because of sort of the irony uh, or the other side of the coin, if you will, we recently had Luke Robitaille on the program. We talked a lot about the 1984 draft. Obviously, getting Luke, a Hall of Fame player, made that draft class in and of itself a great draft class, regardless of what happened with the other picks. But for any success that the Kings had in 1984, Dennis, 1985 was absolutely horrible. The LA Kings made 10 picks in that draft, including Duncanson, and uh, those 10 players only played in 91 NHL games. So can you imagine taking 10 players at the draft and getting less than 100 games combined out of the entire draft class? I could imagine that, but I wouldn't be picking much after that. I think whatever, <laughs> whatever team it would be. That's very true. Very true. Uh, yes, the, the, the old adage is that you want to get at least two NHL players out of a draft class. That sort of uh, is the benchmark for a, a quote-unquote successful that class. That was the Dean Lombardi mission statement, right, John? <laughs> Well, there were many of them. There were, you know, fill the boxes in, you know, make a baseball yeah. reference. Uh, by the way, uh, I tweeted this out a while ago, and I don't even remember if we've talked about it on the program. Um, the title of Dean's book has started to surface. <laughs> Uh, rumor is that it's like 700 pages, which it, it, it makes me laugh on many levels. Um, there's no way they're publishing a 700 page book. So at one point I know, legit? is he writing a book, John? What's that? Is it, is this legit? He's writing a book. Oh, no, this is absolutely legit. Oh yeah, totally. Wow. I thought we've talked, you know, we haven't talked about this. No, Dean Lombardi. You know would be great? No, we have not talked about it. Okay, I'm sorry then. I tweeted this probably about, I want to say a year ago. I don't know. It, it's really hard because uh, time is, is sort of irrelevant um, at this point in time because, you know, with, with all this, this COVID stuff that's going on. Uh, but this is the name of the book. I just uh, quickly I had it at my fingertips here. Um, search is amazing uh, on your phone. Um, 
The socio, uh, what is this? The sociobiology of the locker room, the genetic roots of a championship culture. That is the title of Dean's book. Wow. The working title. John, (laughs) now imagine this. The the audio book. (laughs) Oh, look, I want to read the book from front to cover or from cover to cover. And then I want to read the book a second time because there's going to be so much I'm going to miss it. And then if there is an audio book, I absolutely will have to listen to it. That's going to be gold. Dean is allegedly he stopped smoking as well, which, you know, he used to, you know, pound those heaters all day long. Uh, If he stopped smoking, he might be able to get, you know, get the read through. But I can't imagine if he was still smoking, he'd have to stop like every three pages and, you know, go go have a couple of uh, of smokes there. So, yeah, it's... uh, I, we somehow there has to be a subtitle to that book, something about like you know how the Yankees inspired a hockey management team or something like that. I don't know exactly. There have I mean the baseball references alone, or uh, or how Derek Jeter would be the perfect hockey player. <laughs> yeah, this is un all of everything I just said is true up until right now. But um, I'm guessing that the delay on the book is is not the clearances from the NHL, but he probably had to get clearance from Major League Baseball for all of the uh, the baseball reference. <laughs> the Red Sox are probably have this thing. They probably have it tied up in litigation. Uh, so we'll see. But anyway, I don't even know how we got off track there. But yes, I can't wait for the Dean Lombardi book. He is, uh, he is of course, still employed, uh, as we understand things, from the Philadelphia Flyers as a, a consultant or, or something of that sort. Um, and uh, he's, he's living on his farm. I believe it's in Montana if, uh, or Wyoming, maybe Montana. Uh, he's, he's on his farm and he's writing his book. And um, good for Dean Lombardi. Can't wait. Can't wait to read all about it. Uh, Okay, uh, there was one other thing I did want to mention, or two other things on Duncanson real quick, just to close the, the loop there, DB. Greg uh, Duncanson was traded on September 6, 1990, to the Minnesota North Stars for goaltender Daniel Berthiome. And I only mention that because if, if uh, you're a Kings fan from the early to mid-90s, you certainly will remember that name uh, as one of the backup goalies. Uh, it's, it's weird, you know, the Kings have really only had two kind of superstar goaltenders, if you will, Rogi Vachon and Jonathan Quick. There have been some other big-name guys, Kelly Rudy, whatnot. But for a team that doesn't ha- it hasn't had a lot of success with goaltenders, uh, there are some very memorable characters, whether you're talking about Fukufuji or Jamie Storr or Bertheome, Rob Stauber. I mean, the list goes on and on. Felix Potvin having a cup of coffee here. It's a team that sort of is rich with goaltender history. Yeah, Barry Brust. <laughs> there you go. So, yes. there, are, there are many of them. Yes, we've talked about uh, several of them here. But uh, Duncanson went on to uh, become a longtime college hockey coach in Canada as well. Uh, and so, you know, always great to see guys uh, sticking around in the game and, and, and giving back to the younger players. Let's move on, DB, because coming up later today, we do have Shane Doan in the second period. Uh, really looking forward to that. Hopefully, uh, Kings fans will enjoy hearing his perspective on things. He has a brand new job, which is good. Good for anybody getting a job uh, in 2020 or 2021. It's a it's tough sledding out there. But uh, Shane Doan back in the National Hockey League and uh, full-time now with the Arizona Coyotes. We'll talk about that. Uh, let's hit a couple of quick highlights, DB, and then we can talk about the Kings game. Uh, the Zegris Chipotle Bowl is a real thing. We talked about that in the last podcast, um, and it is in the app you can now order the trevor zegris bowl so uh db when are you heading over to chipotle to check that out um i'm going to check in the postmates have it delivered to my door okay that's what i'm going to do i'm not going to actually go in the store all right there you go uh maybe cole caulfield will drop that off for you uh the ahl preseason uh, does kick off this show is dropping on friday the ahl preseason is going to kick off today for the ontario rain they're now going to play five games they added one of the 
previously canceled games against the San Diego Gulls. They were able to add that back onto the schedule. I believe it's Friday the 29th. So they're going to play five total preseason games instead of six. We will have some reports on Mayor's Manor uh, and on Twitter at Mayor NHL uh, from Coach John Robleski. Robo will weigh in. We'll hear from him. Uh, that, that Ontario Reign roster, Dennis, is a little bit in flux because Imama and uh, Sammy Fagamo were promoted to the taxi squad yesterday. Right. And so if they're going to play in the game today, they will need to be sent down to the AHL. And it's important to note here, DB, that people need to just sort of chill a little bit. There are a lot of what we call oh, paper... Totally, John. <laughs> in general, right? Oh, but th- there are a lot of what we call paper transactions that are yep. sort of taking place right now. Guys moving from the AHL roster up to the taxi squad and so on. The main thing about guys on the taxi squad, Dennis, is that uh, that I think fans should understand is that, uh, first of all, they're being paid AHL salaries. So there's no, there's not really an advantage of moving from the AHL roster to the taxi squad because you're, you're not getting NHL money. You're not on, uh, you're not impacting the NHL salary cap unless you're on the NHL roster. So the reason you go, well, then why are these guys do, why are they moving around? Well, one of the reasons that they're moving around is that there is a minimum requirement on the taxi squad. NHL teams must this season have a minimum of four and a maximum of six uh, players on the taxi squad. And if you don't have a third goalie on your NHL roster, which the Kings don't, they have two goalies on their NHL roster. So they need to have one goalie on the taxi squad and then they need to have at least three other players. So uh, in the game like yesterday, for example, when they activated um, uh, Leas Anderson from the taxi squad to the NHL roster, if they didn't have the minimum number of players on taxi, then they had to move somebody from the AHL over to the taxi squad. So that, that's one of the reasons. And then if you're wondering, well, wait a minute, why is a guy then sometimes sent to the American League? The team, in order to practice with Ontario, you have to be on the Ontario roster. The taxi squad can practice and does practice with the big club, uh, the LA Kings. So if you, like Fagamo, as I was just saying, he is now currently on the taxi squad at the time of this recording. If they want him to play in the game, the first preseason game with Ontario, they have to move him uh, to the Ontario roster. So it, it, paper transactions with guys going back and forth, um, that, that's, that's some stuff to keep an eye on. Just year. ignore the, the, the taxi squad, John. You look at the AHL roster yeah. and the NHL roster because it's, it's a blend, right? It, yes. There's no benefit to the players. And then you have to go back if you're practicing with the AHL, you have to go back. It's... It's complicated. And look, when you ask, like Todd's already done with those questions <laughs> about the transactions. <laughs> He's not taking any more. Thank God they won last night. He would have been really enjoying the last yeah. couple of media sessions. But I, I think that's, you should look at the rosters and see, you know, who's on which roster. I think that's a better indication because you're right, John. And just the increase in paper transaction because of the taxi squad, John, is what? Fivefold? Oh, it, it's, like it's very sing- normally not happen. No, you know, you don't normally get roster transactions uh, um, every single game day, and it seems like that that's what's happening right now. The move to put Jod, uh, Jared Anderson Dolan, here's your here's your daily dose of Jod. Uh, the move to bring him from the taxi squad up to the NHL roster last night was a curious one, and perhaps they were maybe worried about somebody with some bumps and bruises that wouldn't be able to go, um, you know, after the the pregame skate. But really. The move was a curious one because if you're not going to play Anderson Dolan, there isn't really a significant advantage from a Kings perspective from bringing him from the taxi squad up to the NHL roster. Um, however, if you're Anderson Dolan, there is a very big reason, and that is that uh, currently if you're an American League player, you're not getting paid money 
because the season hasn't started yet. So uh, if you come up to the NHL roster, you get NHL money on top. So you get some money, first of all, and second of all, as uh, Matt Luff, I think, once pointed out on the podcast here, there's a big difference between 70000 and 700000 So <laughs> um, getting an NHL paycheck, even for a day, uh, can be can be rather uh, helpful to those guys who are, who are still breaking into the league. So we'll have to see. Um, Let's just get into get into it real quickly here. Uh, Anderson Dolan to me is one of those players that Todd was sort of making reference to um, yesterday. Uh, I think it was before the game where he was talking about, look, some of these guys need to be rotated into the lineup because if they, uh, Kale Clegg, I think is the guy he was making reference to. He said, look, Clegg has played one competitive game in the last ten months, and if we wait two weeks to get him back into the lineup, we've sort of lost him again, meaning that it's kind of like starting over again. And so um, for a guy like Anderson Dolan. He he hasn't played a competitive game yet. So they've rotated in Carl Grunstrom. They've rotated in Leah Anderson. They've rotated in Kale Clegg. Now you need some of these other guys to be getting into the lineup. And I would assume, Dennis, that um, normally where you know coaches don't like to change the lineup after a win, but I would assume this year's going to be different and that we might see some, some additional roster shuffling uh, here on this upcoming road trip. Well, with respect to John, John if he's going to play center, there's only one spot for him to play center, right? I mean, is Forsey. Yes, they're Lizard, correct. Lizard, right? So unless you're going to put him on wing just to get a look at him. But I agree. It, it's This is one of the functions of not making the postseason is that you have a lot of kids, uh, a lot of players in general haven't played in 10 months. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, it's essential. You can't – like uh, you joked about gathering dust, but, yeah, Jared Anderson Dolan's got to play at some point and he's got to play you know, at least to get Todd to get a look. And just the, for his confidence to get him back on the ice in an NHL game, he's got to play. So you're going to see, I think, see a lot of rotation on that fourth line. I think the first three lines are kind of set at this point. But that fourth line, you're going to see in and out, which I think is a great thing. Well, I think that the Anderson Dolan move from a timing perspective is also interesting because they're getting ready to go out on a road trip. So, uh, you know, and, and the Rain are going to be playing while the Kings are gone. The Rain are going to be playing their preseason games. So I think if you're the management, uh, you know, group you're looking at Anderson Dolan and you go okay look we have to get him in game soon so we either leave him behind meaning we leave him in Los Angeles and get him into some games with the rain while the Kings are out on the road or if you take Anderson Dolan out on the road then you certainly need to play him in at least one of those four games because yeah he's otherwise he's just collecting dust and that would not be a good thing I do think that you just a guess here but I think that you probably would see Anderson Dolan at wing to break in uh, in his first game, sure. probably rather than center, just until you know uh, the rust is 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 gone a little bit and the confidence is there and things like that. Uh, you don't have to push him in. If it would have been from day one, day one of training camp, if he had been penciled in as the fourth line center in, in place of Amadio or something, I think it would be different. But when the guy's been sitting around and just practicing and not playing, I think you're better off putting him in uh, at, at at wing. But that's just my opinion. Uh, okay, let's let's move along. Uh, I guess well, there is one other note. I apologize, Dennis. The AHL schedule, for those that don't know, it is coming out today. Uh, so look for that on Mayor's Manor. And the Ontario Reign uh, opening night, I believe, is February 12th. So it's about a week later than originally anticipated. Uh, their home opener is going to be February 12th. So let's get into last night and talk a little bit more about that. Uh, why don't we just start with this, Dennis? There were fewer penalties. That's a good thing, right? They're 1-0-0 when they take less than five minor penalties. There's my advanced stats for the podcast. Fantastic. Uh, we love we love those advanced stats. Yes. Uh, it, it's so weird. Um, I saw that you and I had tweeted out after the game last night something sort of similar, talking about four penalties. And I, I never imagined that I would be uh, tweeting out penalty count, but that has become the topic so far in 2021. 
But they won the battle of special teams last night. They got two power play goals. They didn't take a lot of penalties. Um, again, the, the situational penalties, I like, look, you take penalties to prevent goals. I get it. I understand it. But it's just the matter. It's, and I asked Tom about that. You mentioned on the last podcast, it's mental rust. You're, make, you're still making decision-making isn't the greatest. It didn't come back to burn them last night, but it, it's a trend in the right direction. All right, let's talk about a few of the lineup changes last night. Kempe up on the top line. It might have been, and I'm not just talking about uh, the goal. It might have been his best game. He was a physical force last night. He was very noticeable, had his work boots on. Um, so on the positive, really liked what I saw from Adrian Kempe. On the flip side of that, I will remind everybody he's been very streaky in the past, hoping that he has matured into the player um, that you know everybody kind of expected him or wanted him to be. But uh, one game, small sample size, what did you think of Adrian Kempe up with Kopitar last night? Well, the coach wants him to step up. You heard it in the press conference last he night. He needs him to step he up. The, yeah, he has all the tools. And the reason why he wasn't on the top line and why Alfalo stood up there, and, and Todd was transparent about this. Like, he was deferential to Kopitar and Brown. Mm-hmm. And you can't have that. You can't be like that. And you got to be more aggressive. And the guy hasn't been aggressive. But, look, he fit well last night. He's got speed and skill. Right. It's a question of the consistency, John. That's what you bring up. You mean Mm -hmm. you don't need streaky. And look, all goal scorers are streaky. And I'm not saying he's a goal scorer, but the consistency of his effort, Mm -hmm. he can't be invisible. If he's going to play on that top line, John, or he's going to play with Kopitar, he he has to be visible more than invisible. Mm -hmm. And that's the question. So if they continue to roll with this, and I think something's going on a little bit with Dustin health wise. So I think that might be part of a reason too. But, um, yeah, last night was good. Somebody asked me if I was going to buy his jersey yet, and I said I was going to wait for his hat trick. So, uh, you know, hold off on that. Well, there might not be a hat uh, trick yeah. because the, the Kings don't play in Montreal this year, which is a, a favorite <laughs> favorite spot for Kempe. So somebody better tell him they're in Montreal when they're visiting. They don't have to face Tyler Toffoli, the highest-scoring player in the league right now. Okay, so. here we go. All right. Well, um, But, no, that, that was a solid effort by Kempe last night. And with him – Playing on the off wing, maybe that helps. He's going to be, he's not coming off the power play one anytime soon. But yeah, that's a good indication of what he can do when he puts it all together. And I am wondering if some of the uh, the power play time and the way that they've been using him on the power play this year, I'm curious if that has helped his confidence or maybe just even changed his mental approach to the game. Uh, again, small sample size, not trying to make too big of a deal out of it, but uh, really have liked Kempe's game over the last uh, couple, of, couple of nights and hopefully it will cool. continue. On the power play usage, you know, he was on the power play one because his zone entries were really good. That That's what you always heard. Like, his zone entries were the best. That's why he's on it. He wasn't a threat offensively. Now, we, you know, you can have other players do zone entries on the power play. Now he's got to be a finisher. Now he's got to be dangerous. You, they, you know, you, Johnny, you watch it. The, the other teams now, they were laying off him on defense, right? So now if he's a scoring threat, right, and to go to the net to get the game winner, good for him. Mm-hmm. I don't hate the guy. It's like, you know, it's just, it's, you see a lot of talent there. You see all the skills and the coach has said it as well. It's like, be more aggressive here. Like make a stand and say, okay, I'm, uh, I'm playing with Kopitar and I'm not leaving. Like, that's what I want to see. We'll see if it happens over time. Well, you know, you made reference to it a moment ago that Aya follow has been up on the top line as a placeholder waiting for somebody to take his spot. Uh, and you know, the other side of that is Dustin Brown and how he's been, he's been moved to the third line. I actually like the combination of him 
uh, with Gabe Velarde. I think there's something there. I'm just not sure how you put the line together, but maybe with Martin yeah. Furk coming back, that Furk being the shooter and, and the chemistry he has with Velarde and what Brown brings to a line, a Furk-Velarde-Brown line really could work. But here's what I really do like. This is probably the key thing that I like the most. I like taking the three key veterans and spreading them out with one per line. Of course, I'm talking about Kopitar, Carter, and Brown. And moving those guys, because people keep saying, well, what about playing Carter uh, up with Kopitar? First of all, I've never liked the idea of 77 with 11. I've been on record since probably 2012 with that. For some reason, it just doesn't work in my mind. But right now with this team in 2021, I like the idea of spreading them out a little bit for as much for as comfortable as everybody has been watching 23 and 11 and as comfortable as they are together. Just look at Kopi's comments last night. He thinks of Brown as his brother and, you know, we had 15 great years together and we hope to keep this thing going. Well, how about spreading out the love a little bit and having Kopitar play with some other players? Carter's line is obviously working. And Brown with Velarde, that could really make for a deadly combination. I think if you talked to Dustin privately and said, um, we're going to take you off Kopi's line, but you're going to be paired with Velarde, I, I think he's fine with that, to be honest with you. Because, John, you, you watched those shots last night when Velarde pinged one off the, the mask of the goaltender mm -hmm. and the power play goal. Like, I, I'm sure Dustin would be comfortable. And even Todd said it. Dustin's the type of player that will help Velarde because he'll grind in front of the net. He'll go into corners, retrieve the puck. So I, I think that I don't think Dustin Brown has any problem playing with Gabe Velarde. I think it's a good thing for both of them. It's also why that line works once you get Ferk back on there, right? You get Ferk out there who's the shooter, and you have Velarde doing his thing, and then you have Brown working to get the pucks. I think that could be a very effective line. So I like those moves. Uh, let's see what happens when Martin Ferk is available and ready to come back. Uh, let's talk a little bit about the defense, though. Um, look, Mikey Anderson, uh, he's received a lot of praise from me through the years. Uh, I think all, all of it, not even much, all of it is, is well-deserved. Uh, but let's also, you know, be transparent. There were a few mistakes last night. Um, they were noticeable, not just when he was burned by McKinnon, but uh, Mikey didn't have his best game last night. Perhaps part of that is the fact that he was moved up to the top pair with Drew Doughty, and so he's now facing a different level of, of uh, forwards on the other team, right, That he, than perhaps what he was seeing before. Uh, but I'll say two things about Mikey Anderson, DB, before getting your reaction. One is it's not even an arguable point that the best defenseman for the LA Kings through the first three games of the season was Mikey Anderson. His pairing with, with uh, Matt Roy was the, top, was the top pair, the best pair, whatever you want to call it, uh, regardless of where they were slotted in the lineup. And number two, I'd rather see a rookie like Mikey Anderson making some mistakes uh, being paired with Drew Doughty than some of the same mistakes coming from Ole Mata. Uh, and I don't think that's a surprise comment coming from me, uh, Dennis. You know, Pittsburgh needs some defensive help. Can they actually... Did you trade a player four games after acquiring him? Oh. <laughs> but, John, 11 minutes last night for Mana, and it was a coach's decision. And it wasn't a plan coming into the game to play Anderson. I asked Todd about that. You know, I want to um, follow up on that. I'm sorry, TB. I, I don't need to cut yeah, you off, but I want to follow. I was going to text you this last night, but I wanted to save it. I know you asked him that question in the press conference, and I know he said that it was an in-game decision. However, I don't think that Todd was being completely truthful. I don't, I'm not saying he was lying. Maybe he just didn't really necessarily remember. Because if you go back a couple of days prior, I had asked him after, I think it was the second game, I had asked him about the fact that he had paired Mikey with uh, Drew at the end of the game. They played together for a couple of minutes at the end of, I think it was the second game. And some of that was situational because uh, Matt Roy had been in the box, and so the pairings kind of got messed up for a minute. But he seemed to have liked the idea enough because the, the, the game after I asked him that question, 
with about five minutes left in the game, he put them together again, and I think that was in game three. So he's at least toyed with the idea, whether it was intentional or by accident. Knowing Todd, because he watches the games uh, again multiple times, knowing Todd, he must have seen something that he liked when he put those pairs together. And so it was at least in the back of his brain. So I'm not, again, I'm not saying he was lying when he answered your question, yeah. but it wasn't just like the spur of the moment, you know, hey, why don't I just put these two guys together? He had at least seen them together, and I'm guessing or assuming that he might have seen something that he liked, and that's why in the middle of the game he made the decision to put those guys together. Well, there's not another option. You're good. If, if, what's the other option? Not Kale Clegg. So here's the issue. And these kids play 10 games. Are you really going to think he's going to be able to play 25 minutes a night on the top here off the bat? I, I don't think. I, I think Matt has got to go up there at least a little while longer, get some – more length on, on Mikey's game because the, that's a big ass, John, 25 minutes for this kid. Uh, and, and last night, Drew played 30 minutes. It, and to be frank, he wasn't great most of the 30. He was great to close the game. So I, that's my question. I like Mikey playing on the second pair, playing 20 minutes a night to graduate up. It's a big ass. I'm not saying he can't do it, John. I, I just think you want a little bit more run with him on the second pair before you're going to make that promotion. Dennis, I'm with you. I, I'm right there with you, which is why on the last podcast when you asked me, well, what about putting Mikey Anderson with Drew Doughty? And I was a little bit lukewarm to the idea. The reason I was lukewarm is I just don't think that Mikey's ready for it yet. All these people want to say, play the kids, play the kids, play the kids, and they want to throw these kids, these young, inexperienced players, into really beyond the deep end. They want to throw them into the ocean a thousand miles from, from land, and they want to see if they can swim back. And that is a very big ask, as you put it, uh, as for as much, uh, you know, as I praise Mikey Anderson, that is a tall task at this point. And then some might say, well, then, John, why are you willing to put Bjornfoot there? I think they're a different type of player. Bjornfoot is more of that stay-at-home player. He's not the same type of player as Mikey. I also think that just being a little bit bigger than Mikey as well, that gives him a, a little bit of a competitive advantage. And for whatever reason, we've already seen that there's been some instant chemistry between Bjornfoot and, and uh, Drew. So again, it comes back to options. If you take Olimata off the top pair, which I'm a big fan of at this point, and you put him onto the third pair uh, until he gets settled. So this isn't, you know, I'm not damning Mata forever. Maybe he just needs to get settled in. He's only been here for a couple of games. And as Todd has mentioned, this has really only been four preseason games for a guy like Ole Mata, learning the system, learning the team, etc. So we'll, we'll be patient. We're not, we're not uh, you know, closing the book on Ole Mata just yet. But if in a perfect world you could move Mata to the third pair, then what are the other options to play with Drew? And it, with the options would be, in my mind, Mikey or Dowd, uh, Dowdy, Mikey or Bjornfoot, and I would opt right. for Bjornfoot. That's just that's my opinion, but I realize that it also right. comes with some other sacrifices because then you have to look at the lineup and go, okay, well, you know, if Walker and Roy are already in the lineup, how many other spots are there? And it makes it very difficult um, to get guys like Kel Clegg. I mean, how is Kel Clegg going to get in the lineup? Because well, I agree John, with you. He's not, he's not an option. Well, John, maybe you play 11 and 7 some nights. You could. Um, I've never really been a fan of that um, just because I think that it screws up the the chemistry that exists within a pair because you're rotating a guy in. And I think I just don't like that. Um, I understand why you do it. And sometimes it's necessary, especially maybe at the end of a long road trip to maybe keep some guys fresh and whatnot. But uh, from a chemistry standpoint, I think it's difficult to build chemistry when there's always some somebody being rotated out. But well, the way those bottom line wingers are playing. 
probably afford to play 11 and 7. Uh, very true. Very true. Um, look back to Andre Kopitar real quickly, Dennis. He, uh, he did pick up a couple of assists. We forgot to mention that he is now tied for the lead with, uh, Jack Eichel, uh, and consecutive multi-point games for Kopitar. So Kopi sort of quietly, uh, picking up some points there. And, uh, although you're not seeing him score the big goals, that's okay. Because if other guys are chipping in offensively, that's a good thing, um, for the LA Kings. Uh, John, yeah, oh, he's I wanna... never going to be a good, that. That's not his game, John. He's a pass first center. Sure, he's never going to be a shoot first center. That's why I want Gabe to shoot. Like, yes, I want one center who's going to shoot the puck. Yes, like back in the day when Jeff Carter, like that's right, Jeff Carter. Yes, right? Jeff Carter was a shoot first center. He's never been a facilitator. And mm -hmm. I just when I watched Gabe shoot that puck last night, I'm like, dude, take be more aggressive, shoot the puck. You have an amazing shot. So you know, hopefully, we see it over time. Well, a lot of people apparently were listening to the last episode of Kings of the Podcast because Warren Reichel was saying, hey, everybody, you're going to love Gabe Velarde once he starts shooting the puck and, and that sort of stuff. And then that happened. And then Drew Doughty, he obviously was listening to, to, to my criticism. Uh, I gave him a little I gave him a little Daryl Sutter, which was, you know, tough love. Come on, Drew. And uh, the old the old boot to the butt type thing. And uh, look what happens. Drew Doughty ends up having the best game that he's had so far this season. So maybe that was enough to wake him up. People get some good nuggets when they listen to Kings of the Podcast. DB. They do. And hey John, look, they were really competitive against Colorado. Like, really. I mean, they could have won both games. They were really, if they're competitive against that team, then there's no reason they can't go out on the road and win a couple of games against St. Louis and Minnesota. There's no reason why. If they're going to play like this and limit their penalties, like, they, they played them. They didn't take a step. And yeah, they got down two goals. Nate embarrassed them in the first period, right? And then they just, they just sacked up and and won the game. And that was a really impressive. And look, the turnaround, the team, they needed to win that game. But people getting testy around the club, as I understand it. So, mm -hmm. But that's a really nice effort against a team that's a lot picked to win the Stanley Cup. So I think that if you're a Kings fan, you look at it and say, hey, look, if you can play that level, like this, why can't you play it against other teams at this point? Dennis, it is, it is very reasonable to look at the first four games and say, this LA Kings team could be 4-0 right now. That is yeah. not... Sure. That is not somebody talking with their head in the clouds. They very realistically could be 4-0 right now. Yeah. Better decision-making, they are 4-0. But, uh, yeah, I think the only game I would think, they were down 3 nothing in Colorado. That's a big hill to climb. But, yeah, I agree with you. What, are you I talking about they, in the third uh, game? Uh, yeah, we were down 3 nothing in the first game against Colorado. Yeah, well, okay. And, they rallied three and look what look what happened at the end of that game, though. They, yeah, if, I'm just saying that's a big hill to climb against that team. Now, John, here's the thing. like The indicator of this team is the next four games. Right? You're going out on the road for the first time with COVID-19 protocols. you got to stay in your hotel. Mm -hmm. Let's see this this next group of four games because you're going back to a Minnesota team that you think you should have beat twice. St. Louis is up and down. Mm -hmm. like, they lost in the shoot at the San Jose the other night. So, yeah, there are winnable games here, and if you're going to be in the mix for that four seed, win games. I think if they can pick up three wins, uh, I think three wins are possible. I think you split – if you can split the games in St. Louis, you, you leave you leave there happy, uh, and then you get to Minnesota, and you better use those first two games in Los Angeles as motivation to win the two games in Minnesota. Obviously, those are the two most important games of the four on the road trip, as we've talked about uh, several times. The the eight games against Minnesota could determine ultimately where the Kings fall in the right. in the Western standings at the end of the year. The 
Western Division brought to you by Honda. Uh, I don't know why. I just find it funny to say, Dennis. That's why I keep doing it. People are asking. Uh, you know what, though? There's there's a little something that happened uh, in that in that two-game set against Colorado that will, will largely... It won't even become a footnote. It'll just get forgotten about. But it's important to point out the little things that coaches do. Trevor Moore getting those minutes up on the top line. couple minutes at the end of that. I think it was game three. Uh, that was important uh, for a couple of reasons. Not only because of the message that uh, Todd was trying to send to that line, and he, he mentioned it in the post-game presser, saying that uh, they, they needed to have more jump in their line, but also the bond that that builds between a guy like Trevor Moore and Coach Todd McClellan. Those moments are key because now he has Trevor Moore so fired up that he has shown that type of confidence right. in him that Trevor Moore will run through a wall for him for the next two months just off of that one little small thing. Those little details are, are really important when you stop and look at the, the season in totality. Yeah. And John, what big picture, what is it about this team since we've been covering them that they never start fast? <laughs> I, never I, I don't know they, you know what Dennis do you remember a couple of years ago where we uh we get we did gifts we gave a gift to everybody on the team we did a Christmas podcast I right. think that we yeah. missed a real uh, opportunity here we should have done another one this year and we could have just it would have been a real easy podcast we would give alarm clocks to everybody on the team <laughs> and uber gift cards so not only would we make sure that they woke up on time we could have even done postmates we could have made sure they woke up we uh delivered food to their house and we had ubers pick them up at a particular time um to get them in the i don't know what it is it doesn't matter what time the game is it could be a one o'clock game a three o'clock game a five o'clock game a seven o'clock game it doesn't matter they just they're not ready to go when the puck drops many many nights it's and it's not just the players it's the media now john because you know it, i don't think the fans know this but there's there's no resources inside staples center mm -hmm. basically it's a ghost town we have tables set up in the in the uh, right below, uh, right at the top of the um, uh, the uh, lower bowl, right? But there's no food. So you've got to eat. <laughs> For a 7 o'clock game, if you're driving from Encino like I am, you've got to eat like at 4 o'clock, and then you can't eat till like 11 o'clock when you get home. So it, it, You have to pound that Snickers bar and wash it down with a Red Bull yeah. in, the, in the parking lot Flip before it. <laughs> in the car, right? It's like really, really weird because normally you would eat before the game and things of that nature. It's just... It's so upside down, but yeah, I, I don't know what this is. This is, this is the franchise issue. This is through all the coaches and all the players. Like they just don't start fast. I don't, I just, it's, I don't know. I can't explain it. I don't know either. Well, hopefully they figure it out soon. Uh, DB, let's wrap up the first period here because on the other side of the break, we do have Shane Doan who's going to come in. Uh, really looking forward to, to chatting with Doner. Uh, and Kings fans hopefully will will enjoy this as well. I know that he's enemy number one for a lot of people that are still holding on to 2012. And I don't know why you're so bent on Shane Doan, by the way. The Kings, you know, the old saying from Jim Rome, scoreboard, the Kings won that series against the Coyotes. So get over it, everybody. Uh, but hey, before we bring Doner in, though, let's just remember that support for Kings of the Podcast is brought to you by by Manscaped. They are the best in men's below-the-waist grooming, Dennis. And uh, they recently had some, some pretty big news. Manscaped just released their new cologne scent to help people feel good and smell good all over and at all times. And uh, Dennis, as we pointed out recently, 2 million men worldwide trust Manscaped. Uh, you and I both have some of their products, and we've been talking about it here on the program. We like it. Uh, we like more than just the LED light. We love the packaging and uh, we love the products as well. So everybody knows Manscaped has the perfect package 3.0, but they didn't stop there. Uh, you can now complete your grooming game with the new refined cologne signature scent by Manscaped. 
It comes with the same signature scent that's in all the Manscaped formulas. It's a cologne that's a perfect complement to the collection. It's light, it's approachable, and gentlemanly in all the right ways. Uh, so you can think of it, hockey fans, as your personal wingman. It'll help keep you fresh and ready for just about anything. We know that you guys probably already have some of their other products. Now you can use the new Manscaped Refined Cologne to complete your set and smell great anytime, anywhere. It's time to feel sexy again. So right now you, you know, can get. John, oh, here we go. Yeah, yes. It, yeah, it's it, it's you know it, that's one of the other things about not having fans in the building that is uh, kind of disappointing because you know the fact that I use the fragrance now um, and when we greet fans during between periods at the media elevator, yes. they they can't enjoy the fragrance of the the, the new cologne from Manscaped. So it's another disappointing thing about not having fans in the building. Wow, DB, good to see you again. Boy, you sure smell nice today. What exactly. is that you're wearing? Well, I'm wearing the new Manscaped, Manscaped cologne. See, that would be a that would be a great conversation. Plus, it's a bummer because we can't give away some uh, some free stuff. We like to hand out hats and T-shirts and um, some yeah. other stuff to the fans, so it is disappointing. Soon, Dennis. Soon, we will all uh, be back together again and attending live events and 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 seeing people, fans, and and, and everybody else that we love to talk to uh, in between periods, before and after the games as well. Uh, Back to Manscaped, though, Dennis. Right now, people can get 20% this off and free shipping with the code the KOTP NEW. That's K-O-T-P-N-E-W at manscaped.com. It's a limited-time promotion. You can get 20% off and free shipping at manscaped.com with our code KOTP NEW. Look good, smell good, feel good with Manscaped. And uh, as I mentioned on the last program, they support us, so please support them. And DB. With Metro by T-Mobile, your hard-earned money goes further. This tax season, there's zero fees to switch. Enjoy Metro's lowest price. Just 25 bucks a line for four lines. Plus, get four free Samsung Galaxy phones when you switch. Now that's the best deal in wireless. Metro by T-Mobile. Empowering you to rule your day. All lines lose promo rate if any deactivates. No fees on select phones. Limit one per line with eligible port. Exclude sales tax. Limited time offer. Additional terms apply. See MetroByTMobile.com. After the break, we will be back with Shane Dole. Swing and miss and a catcher's mid strike too. Baby, I'm hollering for you. Welcome back, second period, and joining us on the program now, uh, a longtime friend of Mayor's Manor, by the way, uh, done a number of interviews with him through the years, and he's provided some great insight, especially back in 2012, but uh, Shane Doan, welcome to the program, Donor. Hey, thank you so much. Really appreciate it. Uh, it's good to talk to you again. Well, let's just start right off the hop with your uh, job title, by the way. Congratulations. You're, you're back in the NHL. You're, you're back in the fold officially with this big, long title. You were hired by the Arizona Coyotes as the Chief Hockey Development Officer. What, what, what exactly is that? Uh, you know what? I, it allows me kind of to help on both sides, the hockey side with uh, hockey ops, and then also on the business side with just helping out with, with whatever area I can. I think the having the experience that I have here in the Valley is, is unique in the fact that I have been here since the very beginning and was able to play and understand kind of the way that hockey organization runs here in the Valley. And then on top of that, I got to meet with a lot of the business people and become friends with the people of the state and, uh, 
and and so I think I can help on both sides. And that was what, this kind of title gave me the opportunity to to do both of that. Now, I, I think it's great that uh, you were put in this position and that you're there with the Coyotes. And really, I when I heard about it, the first thing I was thinking was, you know what? There probably is nobody more prepared or better prepared for everything that's going on in the world in 2021 than Shane Doan. Because when you were there with the Coyotes, man, every every day was, was something <laughs> wild. And, you know, ownership changes and management changes and player changes and building changes. And there were always questions surrounding the Arizona Coyotes for years and that's the world that we're living in now. All these teams around the NHL that are used to stability and normalcy and routine, it's all been thrown out the window. They wake up every day and it's like they're dealt a new set of circumstances and they have to deal with it. it in many ways, it probably, I'm guessing, maybe isn't affecting you mentally the same way that it would be many other people because you've had to focus, uh, you know, for years now. Well, <laughs> it was, we did have a, a, a Marion of, of, of different um, things that most of the other teams didn't have to deal with. And yeah, it was, it was uh, never dull and it was always exciting. And there was always something new to, to, to try to figure out. But, and I think one of the best things that that did is kind of, I think instill a little bit in, in the guys that have been here for a long time that you just help out. And that's what's going on. Like when people are saying, well, what's your job title now? Realistically, as you look at what happened with the Cleveland Browns, where, their, I think it's their specialty teams coach became their head coach. You look at what went on with the Denver Broncos, where their three quarterbacks are out, so they had a wide receiver playing quarterback. You go and look over at what's happening right now with the 76ers. Realistically, COVID has turned everyone's job into okay, are you there? Okay, good. Now help. Now <laughs> do what is, like, if you're in the building, you do what needs to be done. And I think that's, and what you're, what kind of has gone on here for the last few years is, that was what was expected of the group was whether it was from the equipment staff to the medical staff, to the coaching staff, to the general manager. If you had to be, you know, the ambassador of the team, if you had to be the, you know, help out with the equipment, if you had to, whatever you had to do, you did. And, uh, I think that's kind of the approach that we're taking. And I think everyone's taking, because you're right, this thing has, the pillars that we kind of build our lives on have really been shaken. Mm-hmm. I mean, your, your job, your family, being able to see people, support people. Those are the things that kind of the pillars of our lives. And this thing has shown us how little control we actually have over any of the things that we thought we had control over. And it's, it's humbling and, uh, and scary at the same time. Now, on a more positive note, don't just think about this. <laughs> One of the, uh, it was very well said, by the way, uh, but think about this. One of the last hockey games that you attended before the world sort of shut down last year, you were able to see me. So that was a pretty good thing for you, right? <laughs> that, that's right. That always makes it my day better when I get to see you. And that's, yeah. And, and, and who would have thought that it would be, that would have been kind of the end of it i mean right there at the end of everything that's crazy i don't know who was more surprised running into uh when we ran into each other uh we're outdoors in colorado springs it's the kings against the avalanche and and it was it was this funny moment where we ran into each other and and you know i always loved your smile whenever i see you 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 sort of light up but you didn't give the full smile that time because i know it was like it was like a cat running into a sliding glass door there was confusion (laughs) it's it's not wait Huh? Oh my goodness! Yes, this is, and then it dawned on me. I'm like, this is LA. What's going on? Why? Well, yeah, and, and I 
when you do those outdoor games, which Chris King and, and, the, and the hockey ops department and getting to work with them was like, oh, I was so fortunate and so lucky. They are such a good group of people. Colin Campbell, Mike Murphy, Rod Pazma, Steve Wacom, and Kay Whitmore. Those guys are just, I mean, they go over the top with being an example of why you should run things. And so when we do the outdoor game, like Kinger goes like nonstop. And you're so, like, we're there, we're checking on the ice in the middle of the night. You're checking on the ice first thing in the morning. You're making sure that everything's happening. You're talking to the sponsors. You're talking to um, to the production companies. You're making sure the trainers are good. So you're running all around. And then to see your face, I was like, wait, okay, why am I seeing him here? And then I was like, where? Whoa, L.A., L.A., yeah, 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 yeah. It's great. So yeah, that was that was cool. What a what a beautiful spot. That was a spectacular kind of spot. I was pretty impressed with it. You know, Shane, um, you mentioned about how the pillars have been shaken here, and it's both humbling and scary right now. I know you're a man of faith. Um, yes. I used to write, I think, Romans eight twenty eight uh, on your sticks uh, before games. Yeah. So, so, like, can you lean into a little bit of what your faith means to you, especially in a time like now? Oh man, it is. It has become fundamentally more um, important to me. Like everything changes, and I and I and I, as everybody does, I think we all think, "Well, I can control this. I can control mm -hmm. my daily life. I can control what I'm going to do tomorrow. What I'm, with my family. I'm like these are the things I'm going to count on, and these are the things that are going to bring me stability and." And, and make it so that these are the most important things in my life, my family, my job, um, and my friends around me. And then all of a sudden, those three things get shaken like you wouldn't believe. And you can't see your family. You can't go to your job. And your friends are all, they're separated from you and you can't talk to them. And you're like, oh my gosh, what's left? <laughs> and for me, I, it was so difficult at times and yet so peaceful and to be able to be like oh i do have my foundation and it's right here and it's in my faith and in jesus and it's like okay that's that's where i can base everything and you know what then it gave me the strength to be supportive to my family my job and my friends because i knew where i was grounded and so then i was able to i think be supportive to people that I valued what I, I realized that I valued the most. And, and I think it's just, it's been the most eye-opening, humbling, and scary. At the same, like, by no means am I not, you know, not scary as in I'm afraid on a daily basis, just scary as in that this could happen. Like, I know that, this, that our world could get changed like this. That's, I guess, what I mean by scary. But it has been then at the same time solidifying and, 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 grateful at times to recognize okay that's where i i need to make sure my center is and it's that's it that's my whole faith right there sorry guys so uh, it's, it's important no. No, look we could talk about the accolades you're 1540 games 21 year career but to me again and this goes towards the person that you are the meaning of the clancy and messier awards being awarded those two things what do those two awards mean to you well, the Messier, growing up as a kid from central Alberta and getting to shake Mark Messier's hand and him give me awards with his name on it was pretty remarkable. That's something I'll never, ever forget. Um, and the fact that I 
I think the leadership is so important in the fact in in really realistically it's just putting others first. And if you're able to do that, then I think you're able to kind of be uh, help the group and help the group succeed. Then that that's encouraging. And so for that award, I was so overwhelmed by the King Clancy. It's something that I love the history of our sport and the men and women that have, were involved in kind of starting our sport and Mr. Clancy and everything that goes along with all of that. Um, that was special, but the, the off ice stuff with being able to help out as an athlete, you're given more than you could ever, you ever deserve. You don't deserve to be everything that you've been given. And so you, to be able to give back and be hopefully help others out is probably the most important thing besides hockey. It's, I mean, it's, it's not even close. Hockey doesn't even compare to being able to help out others. So to get those two things was, it meant the world to me. And, uh, I was very grateful. And to see the people that are on the list was, that was cool. Like that was cool to see the people that are on the list of that. Those, those two awards was pretty special. Shane, just to sort of build on that for a second, I mean, obviously people can can see by these great answers, you know, how humble you are, and, but you're also somebody who really thinks a lot about your 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 life, if you will, or just life in general. And and when you think back on your career, I think this is this is a poignant question because during your playing days, when we ask you about certain accolades, hey, you know, hey, you were drafted in the first round, hey, you you know, you uh, you played a thousand games, you played fifteen hundred games, hey, you scored your three hundredth goal, your four hundredth goal. When any of those milestones took place, uh, even when your number was retired, uh, it, it was always, you know, well, I'm not really thinking about that. I'll think about that, you know, after I'm all done and I'm retired and down the road. Right now, I'm not thinking about that. Not you don't only say that, but athletes in general say that. <laughs> So now we finally get to ask you years later, right? Because I, I, I know you said earlier that, you know, you're going to fill in wherever it's needed, but I'm assuming you're not making a comeback for the Coyotes if they're, if they're a player short. So with your playing days behind you now, when you reflect back on your career, what is it that you think about uh, and, and what stays with you? Um, it's so funny because obviously I think you remember your first goal. No question about it. That, that sticks out with me. And, and I will probably, uh, uh, there's a couple other ones throughout there that you'll remember. And, and then I remember some of the plays that other guys made. Um, but for the most part, and this is going to be cheesy, but it's the, it's the guys, mm -hmm. like it's the relationships with guys that I, that I, that you remember. It's so funny because everyone gets so caught up in their numbers. And yet I really couldn't tell you what Danny Breer's numbers are. I know he played almost a thousand games and he has, but I can tell you what type of man he is. He's an awesome dude that I love hanging out with. You know, Keith Yandel's a guy. I know he's got this, this, the streak going right now, but I can't tell you what he did for goals and I can't tell but I could tell you what type, you know. No, hold on, hold on, hold on. You're, you're, you're pivoting off the answer a little bit. Not about, <laughs> hold on. No, I'm not going to let you <laughs> off that easy. I, I, okay. I'm not asking you about what you think about other players. Sure, you might not know your teammates or your friends' numbers. That's fine. And yes, you're going to be able to talk about them as a man, as a friend, as a father, husband, yeah. whatever. I'm talking about your career because look, I want to point out something here. What people don't know about you is that, you, or maybe they do, I don't know, but you're, you were a real student of the game. You talked earlier about the history of the game, but one of the things that impressed me early on, we were having a casual conversation one day about that particular year's LA Kings team. And so I would expect you to know you're, you're playing, it's, it's an opponent in the same division. I would expect you to know sort of who's on the team. 
But you weren't talking to me at that moment about who's on the team. You started rattling off names of their top prospects and what they're, oh, Toffoli's <laughs> been doing this and blah, 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 and Tanner Pearson's coming up and be on the lookout for this guy defense. You were like a scout. You were telling me about players that I know about, but that you had no business knowing about. So I know that you study everybody else. I want to know, like, you know how many goals you scored, Donor. Come on, how many goals did you score? Just over 400. Yeah, 400. I, I got the 400. 402. Two or three? Yeah, 402. Three, there two. you go. There you go. All yeah, right. Yeah. How many games did you play? Oh, uh, over 1,500. <laughs> okay. 1,540. 1,500. 15, 1,540. Oh, there we go. I would have I guessed right around that. I would okay. say right around that. All right. How many years did you play in the league? That I know because everyone says he played 21 seasons. And I was like, yeah, but it was 22 years. Because <laughs> so, they didn't count the one lockout year. I was like, it wasn't like I could go anywhere and play hockey. I mean, I could have went overseas, but it wasn't like I could have. I, I, I actually didn't do that, but I could have. Um, but it wasn't like they were going to, they stopped me from playing. So then that means that I, sh- I should get 22 years, not 21 years. Okay. All right. Well, call the PA then and see if they can fix yeah, that I for know. you. Yeah, I, I'm working on it. I'm working on it. Fair enough. <laughs> so but yeah that all those things are they're cool and um the fact that i got to stay with one franchise was something that in the end really um i took responsibility for it and i I, like it became like not that it was mine and that was pointed out to me and it very clearly wasn't my my organization but it started to feel like I was responsible for it. And I, and I, I really appreciated that. I was grateful for that opportunity. Actually, I, I want to follow up on that. So you made the conference final against LA in 12, didn't go back to the playoffs after that in your career. And then every season, what was the rumor? Is Shane going to wave to go to other teams? Right? <laughs> and it never happened. So any regrets about doing that? Any second thoughts about maybe, you know, going to a contending team that had an opportunity to win a cup? Yeah, there, there. Without a doubt, there are some things that you know. I was like, man. At the end, though, wasn't any regrets there. At the end of you know wishing that I'd went somewhere else, just because um, it's hard to be a player like, unless you're. I mean, Ray Bork. Everyone's like, man, I, are you sure you don't want to try to do? By no means right. am I comparing myself to Ray Bork. I'm not saying that. I'm just saying you look at what happened for him, and I was like, yeah, that's spectacular, and there's a reason why, you know, he won five Norris trophies and he's one of the greatest of all time. That doesn't happen to everyone that agrees to waive their no trade clause. Cause I could, I could, I could give you a list of other guys that it didn't go so well and that they ended up, you know, and not that I was worried about that. I made a conscious decision and my wife and I talked about that. We're not going to regret any of that, any of those thoughts, because I could have went somewhere and something might've happened. I could have got injured. Something else would have happened and would have changed everything. Um, and so I've never, ever, I'm beyond, I was, I'm beyond grateful for what, what I got and what I had from the organization, what I got from the league. And I like the, so don't try to get happier than happy. Cause I was, I'm really very happy with the, with it. And I, and as much as I, I'm aware of it and I look at some of the guys and there's no question that I, I think that some of the guys have made great decisions and, and, and to a, there's an element of maybe a little bit of, I'm jealous of the way that they got to do things with their careers, but at this no point did I regret anything that was that staying and, and playing here the whole time. 
Donor, you need to market that T-shirt. Don't try to get happier than happy. That that is <laughs> trademark that as quickly as you can. That there is, we go. That is fantastic. Uh, yeah. Look, I have a more serious question to ask you, but before I do, I want to talk about the reverse retro jersey. Uh, the Coyotes oh, yeah. are known for having a variety of different jerseys. I personally was happy to see the the Kachina come back in recent years. What, what do you think of the the whole reverse retro craze, and and what do you think about what Arizona is doing? I, I guess they're going to wear those jerseys for five games. Yeah, I, I think they're. It's- pretty cool um it's funny because the reason we have purple in our jer- in our jerseys is because uh, mr colangelo was involved with and so with bringing the team here it was um mr gluckstern and mr burke and mr colangelo were the group that kind of he was involved in marketing and bringing the team here and all of his teams all of his teams had purple in it so if you look at the sun the, the diamondbacks and those so i think it's really cool and um right now it, that look is I think it looks great. Like I know I got a couple requests from a bunch of my 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 friends' kids. They're all like, "Hey, can you find a way to get those?" Because they've all sold out. Yeah, they have. I I don't even have any pull to get any jerseys. I'm working on it, but uh, it's it's one of those things that. uh, I think they look great, and they did a good job of them. Well, if you want to hear something funny, we had Luke Robitaille on the program recently, and he said something similar with the Kings jerseys, that people started hitting him up and asking because they're sold out everywhere, and he can't even get his hands on any either. So it's a, a common problem around the league, and that's good for the NHL, good for Adidas. Uh, there's a real buzz yeah. about reverse retro, and, and hopefully we'll uh, we'll start seeing those on the ice um, pretty soon. But look, on the, on the more serious um, side of things, development you're going to have a hand in development and i'm just curious if you have kind of uh some thoughts on the development of players today and the process of developing prospects and how it is so different from when you were coming up you know uh, and and that sort of thing just uh how do you see the development process of these young dynamic exciting talented kids coming up today versus the development that you know maybe the process you went through yeah it's you know what's drastically different is the accessibility to what the play, what the NHL players get, and what the NHL players do. And you know, like if I watched the sports highlight when I was growing up, it was literally a goal, and that was it. They show one goal, no second cut, no, you know, no different angle. You didn't get to see how he caught that pass. You don't get to see what he was doing with the puck. You, you, you just get to see it happen, and then it's over and done with. Well, now these guys, these kids, like I'm talking to my son, he's watching clips of, you know, what Austin or Connor are doing and they're slowing it down and watching it. And then you go out and you watch them practice and they're talking to each other and you're like, did you see like when he caught that puck and then spun around and then did whatever. And now they're trying it. I don't know if you guys saw the other night. I think it's going to change. Did you guys see Austin catch the puck on his backhand often when he was in the middle of the ice? Mm-hmm. So he was standing in the middle of the ice and he caught it. On, he turned and caught it on his backhand away from, to kind of protect it and shot it. It was a kind of a bizarre, it was, a, I think it was against Winnipeg um, or maybe Edmonton. I'm sorry. I can't remember what team it was against, but that would happen in a game and it didn't, he didn't score on the play and it would just happen and he wouldn't see it again. But now my son saw that. Now they're slowing it down. Now they're seeing it. So they're picking it up at like 16, 17, 18. So by the time they get to the NHL, they're proficient at it. Mm-hmm. And so these young guys coming into the league are proficient at what the league is kind of setting the bar at. Mm-hmm. So what Austin did kind of moved the bar up, and now these young guys come in. And so that, I think, is why these young guys are coming in. And you look at Byfield and the young guys that you guys have coming in, your, your expectations are high because they've got proficient at doing things that 
you know, the NHL guys aren't even doing yet. Only one or two of them are doing it. And, uh, and I think that's sped up the development. Now, the mental side of the game, that's a whole other story. And they got to figure that out. And that's, that's where I think the, the roadblocks and the stumbling blocks come in. And you have to be patient with the guys. I want to talk about arenas for a second. So you started, some people may not even know, you started in Winnipeg at the old Winnipeg Arena. But <laughs> when you come to Phoenix, you play, and John and I have both been in this arena, that old America a West arena. Oh, yeah. What, was, yeah, what yeah. was that like to play in, bud? How about the very first, like the exhibition game that we we had two exhibition games. And you remember how the one end of the, the south end of yeah. the arena came over top of the net and like it was like the 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 last row of seats was like over top of the net so you look straight down you couldn't even see the goal mm-hmm. you could see the top of the crease and then you could see out from there so mm-hmm. then you'd have to look up and look at the screen when the play came into your own zone because you couldn't see half of the you know half the play they didn't have netting up for the first two games <laughs> and guys are taking shots and it's going off the guys six and like plastering the net, like plastering these seats up there. And we're like, oh my gosh, people are going to get killed up there. Like, mm-hmm. you got to fix that. And so they, we were one of the first teams to put the netting up. Like, there was no netting in any of the buildings. And that started putting it up there. And then obviously, when, but that place, it, I mean, you want to talk about the fans being on top of you. It was like unbelievable. Like, when I see it now and I see the footage of it now, it's like, holy cow, like, that was crazy. Um, let's fast forward to today. I've been to Gila River you know, a number of times. John has as well. Love the Westgate uh, development around it. But isn't it essential that the team get a, an arena on the other side of town, Scottsdale, Tempe, somewhere in that area, to really grow the, 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 the really settle in in this market? Well, I, I think that without a doubt that uh, they did an unbelievable job here and that they've built up their the 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 area around us and then we have some great fans here and so um it's something that uh, as a as a coyote kind of been playing here since 03 you start to realize that we've started we've developed a pretty good community even let's hypothetically say that we moved to somewhere else in the in the valley it's at least four years away that means we've been in this building for 21 years so it's going to like we have a significant number of people that this is their home and this is their spot for the coyotes. And I, and as an organization, I don't think we take that into very serious account and we want to be aware of that and, and, uh, and make sure that if there's any way that we can make it work, that we're going to try to make it work. Well, donor, uh, that was, that answer was a very PC answer. It doesn't come with a nice t-shirt at the end of it, like the other one, right? Uh, you don't, what is it, whatever, whatever the saying was, don't try to be don't happier, happier than happier. Than happier. There, you there, you there you go. There you go. <laughs> but, uh, nonetheless, it was fantastic to get you on the program. Always enjoy talking with you and catching up with you. Uh, we probably won't be seeing each other anytime soon, but, uh, can't wait for the next time that we do. And, uh, thanks again for coming on today. Really appreciate it. Hey, I am so, I appreciate it so much because this was like a conversation. Sometimes you get on and it's just, I don't know. I Thank you guys. It was really good. I really enjoyed it. Thanks for letting me talk. It, it means a lot to me. So what so you're saying for, is, you, what you're saying is that we're going to have you back on when the Kings you play the Coyotes and you, you can do a preview. Have me back on. There we go. I would love that. You have me back on and I will, I will be excited to do that. All right. Look forward to it, Donor. Have a great day. Thank you so much. And we'll talk soon. Thanks, guys. Thanks for anything, Thanks, John.
There you go. Shane Doan of the Arizona Coyotes. After the break, we'll come back and talk a little bit more about that and a few other notes on the LA Kings. the third period of Kings of the Podcast with DB and the mayor. All right. So thank you, uh, Shane Doan, for, uh, well, I don't know. You tell me, DB. What do you think? Well, if any Kings fans listen to that interview, they shouldn't hate Shane Doan anymore. Mm-hmm. That was that was fantastic. That was He said it. He said it was a conversation. I mean, you had a guy who played in the league, and I'll give him credit, 22 years, just the <laughs> stories and how he approaches life right now. I just think, how can you hate a guy like that? I mean, plus you beat him in the playoffs, so what's the difference? Yeah, well, there are certain guys that uh, I've always enjoyed talking with. Others, they're just maybe fun to do you know, an interview or have a conversation with, but uh, I've always enjoyed my conversations with Shane Doan. Like I mentioned there, um, he, he's just a wealth of knowledge about the sport of hockey, and I was blown away when he was talking about the Kings prospects many, 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 many years ago. Um, but, I mean, he said no business knowing the Kings prospect. I mean, can you imagine walking into the LA Kings locker room right now? And I'm just picking on him as, as an example and talking to Dustin Brown and mentioning pick any team, uh, mentioning the San Jose Sharks and then having Brownie start rattling off who they have in the AHL. I mean, can you imagine that conversation happening? No, I can't. I don't. No, no, won't <laughs> oh, pick anybody. Can you imagine it happening with Jeff Carter or no, Kopitar no. or Dowdy? Or yes, I just agree. It doesn't, it, it doesn't make sense. John, let, let me tell let, let's get to the, the brass tacks here. Sure. That conversation is why I cover this game. Mm-hmm. It's as simple as that. These players are amazing. Mm-hmm. Right? And that's just it. That's just one of many conversations I've had. But that one, that that's why I cover this sport. Couldn't have said it any better, DB. That's uh, that's great. Uh, so thank you to Shane Doan. We certainly will bring him back. Uh, we'll make him our unofficial correspondent when the Kings play eight games against the Arizona Coyotes this year. Uh, they don't play for the first time actually, DB, until February. So a little bit of a little bit of runway here in front of the LA Kings before they get to start playing those Arizona Coyotes. And of course, everybody knows about the the, the stretch later in the year where they're going to play four or five games against the Anaheim Ducks. So it's a it's a quirky schedule. Um, and, and you know what, actually, I would have liked his perspective on that as a as a veteran player, because we're hearing all of the we're hearing from all of the current NHL players and they're giving sort of stock answers when you ask them about these two game sets. And they're saying, you know, we're, we're having to adjust to it or they're making reference to back to back games that they play in the past. But uh, it is different doing two games against every team. And I think it would be interesting to hear from a, a veteran player, somebody who's no longer in the league, if he would have liked it uh, or if he actually preferred it the way that it was. But moving on, DB, the Kings are headed out on the road and they are going to be playing uh, four games, I believe, on this road trip. First up is going to be Kyle Clifford and the St. Louis Blues. Any thoughts heading into this series, DB? Uh, grind out low-scoring games. Uh, St. Louis has been up and down in games, but uh, these are going to be tough physical games, so uh, that's what I expect in the series. 
Yeah, it's going to be interesting because uh, Todd made reference uh, after the first game against Colorado that the two games against the Avalanche were completely different games. He expected them to be different games than what they were when they played Minnesota because those two teams are just different in the way that they're built and the way that they approach a game. And I think you're going to say, you could say something similar, uh, but maybe not exactly the same thing when you look at these these two teams that they're going to face on this road trip. St. Louis, a little bit more talented, uh, but they are going to grind it out and play. Not that they're not going to play that that speed game like Colorado did. So, do you see any similarities, perhaps excluding the talent? But do you see any similarities between the way the Blues might approach the games and the way that Minnesota might approach the games? No, I think they're entirely different teams. Mm-hmm. I, I really do. I, I think that uh, Minnesota's much. Uh, they're they want to play a tempo, right? Now, I mentioned Kaprizov in the, in the first period. I just think they want to play quicker than St. Louis. St. Louis is ready to hit you and grind you and be opportunistic with respect to their scoring. So I just think that it's there's going to be more hits in the St. Louis series than there's going to be in the Minnesota series. And it's incumbent upon the uh, Kings. You mentioned how important these eight-game opening games in the first 21 against Minnesota is. They've really got to get on the board against the Wild. And I think they have an opportunity because, again, like they were position to win both those games. So they're going to be uh, – they're going to be very, very important games, I think, in Minnesota. Yeah, the Kings need to take those games in regulation against Minnesota and try to claw right. some of those points back. But, you know, Todd mentioned it uh, in the Colorado series. Somebody had asked him about the confidence of the team, you know, uh, and I think it's going to be important that regardless of what happens in St. Louis, they're going to find a way to keep their heads held high because you see that sometimes with teams where if they get off to a bad start on a road trip, yeah. it sort of can spiral out of control, and you don't want that to happen here. You really want to be able to compartmentalize um, whatever happens in the St. Louis series, uh, you know, you don't want to come in too high against that Minnesota team and you don't want to come in too low. You do want to compartmentalize whatever happens in St. Louis, man, leave it in St. Louis and start that Minnesota game fresh or even with a little bit of a chip on your shoulder, knowing that, hey, you let not one, but you let two games get away from you back in L.A. and you need to find a way to close things out in regulation and pick up those points against the Wild. I'm sure that's what the point the coaches will point at, John. Saying, "Look at these two games. These are this is we should have four points coming out of these series." And they they outplayed them for long stretches. They just you know again couldn't close the games, didn't play well in overtime. But again, these are I don't want to use the word pivotal, but I I think that's what it's going to probably line up uh, with uh, with respect to those two games. So I think that St. Louis, look, if you can walk out of St. Louis with a split, I think you'd be happy. But I think winning two in Minnesota is is, is important for this team. I would agree with you. I think the games in Minnesota, can't say it enough. I'll keep saying it again all year. Well, it won't be all year because the eight-game set with Minnesota is done by February 20th, if I remember correctly. Um, so, you know, it's it's only going to be about four more weeks here, and the Kings are really going to know where they stand in, in the uh, Western Division. I almost said Pacific Division. In the Western Division, uh, brought to you by Honda, by the way, DB. We haven't mixed that in enough on this particular episode. I do want to give credit to the NHL uh, and to the Kings. I really... I have not noticed it, um, it, you know, just in terms of like media calls or televised games and different things that the whole naming of the divisions has uh, it's not been front and center in a very annoying way, I would say, yes. from a from a viewing uh, perspective. Would you agree with that? There's been very little mention of it. The only thing that's still annoying is that the Canadian division is called the North Division. But, yeah, I agree that it hasn't been overbearing. Hold I think on. it's just hold on. Why? Why is that annoying to you? Well, there's all Canadian teams. It should be the Canadian division. Okay. Be the North Division. <laughs> okay, I didn't. I didn't know that was a gripe that you had. <laughs> Interesting. Minnesota North. Yeah, I think they're kind of north. They're not. Well, they're north of the United States. They're north of the of the border. They're in the west. 
Okay. That's my point. So you, Vancouver is not in the north to you? Yeah, they're north. They are. <laughs> they're north of the United States. Exactly. You have the east, the central, and the west, and the team north. It's, it's the Canadian division. No, but hold on. But doesn't that make sense? The north, south, east, and west? So they've covered all four of the, the geographical you know, points, if you will. So that would, that would be the north division. Can't be the There's south. Other teams that are north. Okay. So you're lobbying on behalf of those other northern what teams. What about Tampa in the central? Are they central? Uh, Florida. Central. I was just going to say central Florida, maybe. Come on, John. Okay. They did the best they could, Dennis. We're in the middle of I a know, pandemic. I, I'm nitpicking. I know. Okay. I just wouldn't like to. Okay. So I'm sorry. Back to your back to your point. I don't even know where we were. Uh, we were talking about the fact that it has not been annoying um, to, to see the sponsorship names yes. out there. So that's good. Pump some money into the league, but don't really get on the nerves of of people watching the games. Yeah, I think it's make goods too. Because remember, there's a lot of it. They're trying to you know, hold on to the revenues, like the um, with respect to the. Uh, uh, logos on the helmets. Mm-hmm. That, that's that's a retention of revenue. It's not additional revenue. That's what we interviewed Gary Bettman a couple of weeks ago on SiriusXM, and that's basically what he said. It's it's basically revenue retention, not the additional revenue, which is fine, and it hasn't been overbearing. Again, it's got to be subtle, John. I agree with you. It's been subtle all the way through, um, and just you know paying more attention to the games themselves. I think that was the word I'm looking for, DB, and it was a word I was struggling with because when it comes to Mayor's Manor or Kings of the Podcast, subtlety is not uh, really one of our uh, our specialties. So thank you for coming up with that word. It has been subtle. You know what was, you know what was in subtle, John? What's that? On um, Tuesday night, the way they played the Kings of the Podcast theme in <laughs> in the arena at Staples Center. Quick shout out to Kelly Cheeseman for that one. Uh, that was fantastic. Uh, somebody was chirping on Twitter a couple nights ago that uh, they needed to play the Kings of the Podcast theme. And Cheese quickly reacted to the tweet saying he was on top of it and he would handle it. Uh, and he did. So thank you to Cheese, who was also on Kings of the Podcast recently and uh, provided some, I thought, some pretty interesting uh, insight to what's going on or what was going on behind the scenes with the Kings as, a, as an organization. I'm fascinated by all aspects of sports. It's not just the play and the X's and those on the ice, but uh, I like hearing about what's going on from a management perspective, not only on the hockey ops side, but also on the business side, DB. Yeah, and the game presentation's been kind of stark. Um, there's an opening now hype video with respect to the team mm-hmm. when they come on the ice. Um, it was interesting, John, that the Kings were one of the few teams that didn't do a full team intro opening night, which was interesting. Um, the, the crowd noise is pumped in. Uh, there is music. There's an announcer. So mm-hmm. it's just... It's it's not normal. It's, it's different, Dennis. Yeah, I, I like being there. And people have asked me, like, I like being in the building. But I think last night, John, was the worst because it was like you walk up to the arena and it's a ghost town. Like, mm-hmm. There's nobody on the streets. There's nobody at L.A. Live. Yes, I'm privileged to go, in, to go into the arena and stuff like that. But to not have the fans in there, it's just really tough. It, it's like in the stoppages of play. Like when you're watching the game, you're watching the game. You're looking, you know, trying to analyze the game. But in these stoppages of play between periods, you know, it's it's tough because, you know, you and I, you know, we're more outgoing as, as media members. Mm-hmm. You know, we like to talk to fans, interact with them, and mm-hmm. not seeing that, not seeing your friends, not seeing the, the people that you work with, the people that work at Staples Center who's, who are losing money on that stuff like that. It's just it, – it's tough night. It, it's – I'm not sure how many times are going to go because you and I have joked, like, how many – do you really want to go to that seventh game against Minnesota at home? Is that going to be really valuing? As media people, we don't really get more access, more access to them mm-hmm. uh, from interviewing them or interaction. It's just being able to observe the game, at, you know, the seats as opposed to the press box, which is 
I think the highest one in, in the world at this point. Um, but <laughs> well, it's some nights, like it, 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 there's times you just struggle and say, like, it's just, it's a tough reminder of where we are right now in the world. Yeah, watching the game in person, I think it is more critical in the sport of hockey compared to some of the other sports. Yes. It's not necessary for baseball, maybe even not for football because of the camera angles and whatnot. But because the camera tends to follow the puck, rightfully so, uh, you know, more than the action away from the puck in, in the game of hockey. And so much of what's happening is developing away from the puck. It is a different experience watching the game in person compared to, uh, you know, watching it at home on television. But uh, you're right, DB. They're, for for us, uh, you know, it, it's probably no different than the players. The players, they're used to a different routine when they go to the arena. And for us as media, we're, di- we're used to a different routine when we go. We have our routines as well, where we stand, where we sit, who we talk to. We have a tendency to talk to sort of the same people um before the game and then you know like you say interacting with the fans by the elevators uh by the media entrance there during intermissions there's just a lot of things that are different right now but you know what is not different dennis kings of the podcast we're still here we're still cranking out episodes and uh we appreciate everybody for listening to this episode fantastic chat with shane doan just to wrap things up here and uh dennis it'll be interesting as the kings head out on the road here to see what they can come up with two games against st louis two games against minnesota We'll be back soon, everybody. We'll talk to you then. On the road again. I just can't wait to get on the road again. The life I love is making music with my friends. And I can't wait to get on the road again. On the road again. Going places that I've never been. Seeing things that I may never see again. And I can't wait to get on the road again. Here we go. On the road road again. Like a band of gypsies, we go down the highway. We're the best of friends. Insisting that the world keep turning our way. And our way is on the road again. I just can't wait to get on the road again. The life I love is making music with my friends And I can't wait to get on the road again Big finish And I can't wait to get on the road again Me, 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 but also you The Pharaoh fast-forwards his favorite foreign film Powder Donut Okay, what's my line? Uh, the only line I see here on the script is Get options based on your budget with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive Oh, man, that's a tongue twister, huh? I'm sorry, I'm going to need a few more minutes. <clears throat> bulbous Walrus, the Bulbous Walrus. The Name Your Price tool, only from Progressive. The owl ran afoul of the comatose coxswain. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law.